HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 78 of Feast Your Ears. It's a classically muggy July day here in New York City. And I have Nick Corby, who's the executive chef at Egg Shop here in New York. They have two locations currently, possibly more coming in the future. We'll see. Uh, thanks so much, Nick, for coming down to the studio and joining us here. We've got great air conditioning yeah, in the studio. You. So. Thank you for having me, Harry. It's a, it's a cedar-smelling, air-conditioned <laughs> bungalow. Shipping uh, container. Yeah, yeah, shipping container, pizza bubble. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a really a really nice little haven on this muggy, muggy July day. Yeah. So uh, so Nick is also the author of Egg Shop, the cookbook, um, which just came out this year and is uh, is all about eggs. Not that eggs are specifically a breakfast food. Um, it is something I want to talk a little bit about uh, during the show today, though, about what you guys do at Egg Shop, because in the in the I guess the foreword of the book, um, your partners talk about how they found you to be the chef of this place that they kind of had this idea kind of floating around in the ether to open that would be a place that served eggs, but also had a full bar. Oh, yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about kind of the genesis of Egg Shop and how you became involved? Sure. Um, so uh, living in New York um, finds people 
uh, stumbling and mumbling and half dead and fully alive. Um, and when they realize their position in life and in this city, um, they eat an egg sandwich. Um, they eat an egg sandwich from a bodega and it has American cheese. It's on a Kaiser roll. It has occasionally halal turkey bacon that gets passed off as right. real bacon right. or pork bacon. Yeah. Um, and it is the best thing you can possibly shove in your face to um, cure what the city's offered you or taken away from you that day. Um, so that was the rallying cry of Egg Shop, both for my partners and myself. Um, we found each other through a friend um, as sort of New York City restaurants and probably restaurants everywhere come together. Um, somebody has an idea. A waiter knows a guy. The guy loves the idea. And then somebody writes a killer business plan, finds money, and opens a store. And it either succeeds or fails. And we have been blessed for the last almost uh, three years, two, two and change, um, to have succeeded. And around that notion that people love eggs and people love egg sandwiches um, and that they eat them anytime, day or night. And it's sort of like um, an essential comfort food um, apart from um, over-the-top uh, cookery or, or silliness. It's right. like... It's a pure ingredient that is comforting and relatable. Um, so, yeah, like a place that you could cruise into at 10 p.m., at 9 p.m. and go, you know what? I want, I need, I need, I don't want, I need an egg sandwich and I need the best one I can get. And are you still serving Bloody Marys? I mean, I, I think that that is genius. Um, you know, I, uh, a lot of my formative years in and around New York City, the bacon, egg, and cheese is like that is the go-to on the way to work breakfast. Um, I feel like everybody eats them, and, and your point about the halal turkey bacon is a very interesting one. Obviously, a lot of the bodegas here are run by people of the Muslim faith, and so they can't cook pork products. Um, but I never think about having a bacon, egg, and cheese for dinner. Hmm. Because I, it's just a like for me. It's always been a like you grab it on the way to the train kind of thing. But I do love eating eggs for dinner. I just never make a bacon, yeah. egg, and cheese. So I think that that's like a, you know yeah. the idea. And then the idea of having it with a cocktail, I mm -hmm. think, is awesome. I mean, like <laughs> you know, I would never have a bacon, egg, and cheese at like seven in the morning with like a tall boy of Budweiser. I know plenty of construction workers who do, exactly. but that's not really my. <laughs> Yeah. It's not really my go-to in the morning. Um, you grew up in Cincinnati. I did. Does Cincinnati have a thing like the bacon, egg, and cheese that is the quintessential egg dish? There's, yeah, there, I, I wouldn't say it, there's a quintessential egg dish, but there's a quintessential thing that people put eggs on in Cincinnati um, that uh, has become a sandwich. Um, and instead of a bacon, egg, and cheese, it's um, uh, something called getta. Okay. Yeah. G O E T T A. Getta. Yeah. Um, Getta egg and cheese is a thing in Cincinnati. Um, at most local diners, um, it's it's a really interesting um, food product. It's like the German equivalent to a haggis, I guess. Right. Um, it's uh, pinhead oats and in a, in a force meat that's mostly pork fat. So it's like an oat sausage um, that's salted and spiced. Um, and yeah, there's like, you know, anywhere in Cincinnati, like, oh, what are you having for, for breakfast? Are you from Cincinnati? Yeah. Did you eat Geta? <laughs> and it's, it's just one of those weird things. Regional, like, yeah. Yeah. So at, cool. other, other, at other meals, the question for Cincinnati is, um, 
is about you know chili, chili and yeah. spaghetti. Of course, um, of course. But breakfast is always getta. And which getta do you like? And have you ever yeah. tried to make it? Um, I mean, I will say that you know e- eggs are, um, and and I feel like a lot of you know, for me anyway. When I was younger, when I was in college, when I was totally broke, I ate a lot of eggs because there was a lot of food there for the money. Yeah. Um, and actually, you, you mentioned spaghetti. That was one of my like staple meals when I was in college. One of my staple dinners was spaghetti with two fried eggs on top and ketchup. Okay. All mixed together. Wow. The eggs the eggs are the sustenance. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, the, yeah, eggs, the ketchup has no The eggs are like no nutritive the, value in the, there. the glamorous part. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I bought some fresh eggs. Yeah, exactly. And a beer and a cold beer. That was yeah. my that was my go to dinner oh, for a long time. I yeah, when I was in college I lived uh, in Alphabet City and frequently didn't have any money so my go-to that also involved an egg was the cheapest pack of tortillas you could find the cheapest kind of cheese that would melt um a fried egg and a beer that might still exist in tall boy form called orange boom wow yeah never heard of that yeah one. orange boom it was 99 cents nice at sea town town sea town town <laughs> awesome yeah. um the other uh, the other egg dish that comes to my mind growing up in New York actually is what we used to call Leo eggs, lox eggs and onions. Okay, yeah, um, and kind of like tuna fish. The you know the it, you don't really need the extra egg in there, but um, and that to me was always like a diner staple in New mm-hmm. York. I don't know if you guys do you guys have that on the menu at Egg Shop? Um, we have sort of an homage to that in sandwich form um, that's called fish out of water. So it's um, uh, smoked salmon, a pickled egg, um, and a pretty oniony uh, caperberry mustard mix on rye, cool. on cedar Jewish rye. Um, do you uh, do you ever eat eggs at home? Do you feel like you just cook enough of them all day, all the time, or yeah, do you eat them at home? I do eat them at home. Um, um, like New Year's New Year's Day, I found myself making black eyed peas, plenty of bacon and molasses and kale, and um, putting putting poached eggs on it. It's like Poached eggs are sort of my my Sunday home cooking food um, that that my wife and I do. You know, go to the farmer's market, yeah. get the good stuff, and just put a poached egg on it yeah. and eat that in the morning. Um, you didn't start out as like a breakfast diner line cook or anything. And when your partners found you, you were not cooking. I mean, it was not in a breakfast setting. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about how you started cooking professionally um, and, and sort of what your trajectory was you know, before you came to Egg Shop? Sure. Um, I began cooking um, because my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, told me to do it. Um, I was pre- I was producing That's a good. Kids. She told you to do something, she, and you did it, and she, then you guys yeah, got married. Yeah, and now and we got married. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the life lesson. Yeah, like, I like exactly. to start with the moral of the story, <laughs> and then work back, and then I'll say Perfect. it again at the end. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I was I was living in Los Angeles. Um, I had gone to school for acting and dramatic writing at NYU, and then moved to LA to produce a kids TV show. I did that for about a year and a half, um, and it was the production wing was out of Australia. So I found myself sitting in my boxer shorts, um, cooking myself elaborate breakfasts and meals while doing like telephone calls and you know having a a day job that was mostly on the phone mostly by myself so they weren't they weren't video calls no thank you were in your boxes yeah nobody wants to see that (laughs) not even australians (laughs) and they like to party um so yeah i was like uh, home alone uh 
and trying to figure out what to do with myself. And I had always loved to cook. And so in between these calls and while they were going on sometimes, I was buying wine and tasting it and making elaborate breakfasts for myself because my roommate uh, worked in, in TV writing and had a nine to five. And so he was gone. So I was doing all this weird stuff at home um, and like maintaining phone calls um, made me super happy, like loved it. And when I first met my my wife, it was all I talked about. It was like, oh, yeah, I made this and blah, blah, blah. It was delicious. And uh, maybe you should try it. <laughs> and I had so little to do other than talk on the phone if I wasn't like um, on on a set or doing something that she would come over and I would have this elaborate meal. Right. So eventually, writer's strike, show gets canceled. Sure. Trying to figure out what to do with myself, really bummed out. And um, Amanda, my wife, uh, says, you know, man, all you talk about is uh, cooking and you're kind of good at it, but I bet you could get a lot better. Maybe you should go to cooking school and do this for a living now. So I did. Um, the next day I called Cordon Bleu, um, now defunct, yeah. and signed up. Um, and went to cooking school and, um, like that was, it started about a month later. The very next day I hit up my friend who, um, was waiting at a place called Cafe Stella, which is a brasserie that's pretty cool. It's, um, it's been around for, man, I'd say 15 years now or more. I have no idea what year it is uh, or how old I am, but (laughs) I think it's been around for 15 years. Um, and I was, that was my first job in cooking, um, uh, because my friend was a waiter there and got me in at the very, very, very bottom, um, cutting up cheese plates and putting them on a board. Um, the first day I worked in a professional kitchen was about two days before Valentine's Day. It's the one time in the two years that I worked at this restaurant that they ever served oysters. And they had 400 covers on the books for Valentine's Day. And they all started with an oyster amuse-bouche that I had to pre-shuck the night before and grade on a small microplane all of the fresh horseradish for the next day. So my first day in the kitchen and I like had no real, I didn't know how to shuck an oyster. The chef showed me how and And um, was like, have at it kid, go for it. Have fun with this pile. (laughs) And, uh, here's some horseradish, right? Yeah, Yeah, it was totally, it was crazy. Um, and like a whole, a case of horseradish, like I've never seen. And you had to grade it by hand? Grade it by hand. And did you pass out? Uh, I cried. I mean, so like that stuff days, is intense. It's Valentine's Day. It's ironic. I'm like yeah. <laughs> I'm weeping into a bucket of <laughs> of fresh horseradish. Like my tears seasoned this so perfectly. My salty, <laughs> salty boy tears. And we uh, won't and tell just, the Los Angeles Department of Health. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. They were, you know, that was before letter grades. Yeah, and, you know, they loved it. People loved it. And uh, and just re- repeatedly like jabbing myself in the hand with oh, an oyster gosh. knife and crying, so I'm like bandaged and, and weeping, <laughs> and um, and there was something so messed up and so th- like thrilling about the the ridiculousness of that that I I kept coming back and yeah. I stuck it out, um, and that's that's how I started cooking. Um, so I was there for about two years and then um, chased Amanda back to New York when she moved to New York. Um, yeah. And yeah, never like, um, French trained French brasserie first job. Um, and then coincidentally, my, my first big job in New York at a very small place, um, involved shucking a lot of oysters. Um, so I did that for four years at at a place called Smith and Mills down in Tribeca that's, that's still operating and, um, is 
also like I loved it because it was madness. It's um, one cook at a time behind a tiny cocktail bar, two hot plates and a toaster, making a a full menu, lots of oysters, (laughs) you know, doing it all. Do you guys do oysters at Egg Shop? Not yet, although um, I'm I'm trying to work in probably the most complicated recipe in Egg Shop, the cookbook, um, which is a um, a Hangtown fry. Oh yeah, yeah, which is my like making a Hangtown fry complicated with uh, tamagoyaki and um, like tempura oysters and and all sorts of condiments that are difficult to make. So. Um, I'm working so on not, bringing so that's that on. that's not one that someone, that's not a recipe someone should make for brunch, like, if they've never done it before. That's, that's a recipe they should practice, you think? Yeah. In, yeah, their, yeah. in their boxers on the phone? So. In their boxers on the phone, right. calling somebody as far away as possible. Great. So they can never see you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, the, the, the tamagoyaki is, is obviously, like, the, the golden peak of egg cookery. Totally. Um, and I wish I could say that I had mastered it. Um, um not remotely even passable at it um <laughs> by any Japanese standard. Do you own one of the rectangular pans? I do, it? and it's such a beautiful thing that yeah. like you can hang on your wall and people think you can do something with it. That's yeah. great. Have you been to Japan? I have not. I can't wait to go. Um when when you go, uh mm-hmm. hit me up and I, I can give you a lot of recommendations. Um there is a sushi restaurant in Tokyo called Sushi Ko where they make uh a, they make the sweet tamago that you mm-hmm. often get here in in uh, in sushi restaurants on as as sushi or as sashimi that's cut up that's super like sweet and is not you know mm-hmm. sort of like tamago yaki but but it's made it's almost like a cake except that in Japan traditionally there are no ovens to bake it mm-hmm. so the youngest chef on the totem pole has to hold <laughs> a grate of burning coals above the pan oh wow in order to broil it and cause it to rise and bake. And that it, that was like the for me when I that, that was like the pinnacle of like a tamagoyaki style food, yeah. um, and then of course there's great tamagoyaki at like izakayas there that you can be yeah. suit, you know ten ten beers and four shochus in and like wander into some place and order tamagoyaki at two mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning and like it's exactly what you kind of need yeah. when you're wasted. That's I mean that's like the fantasy that I base this Hangtown Fry recipe off of is 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 that is going like. Uh, cool i'm in an izakaya but it happens to be north of san francisco you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah get some uh, hog islands or some <laughs> yeah, hamahamas yeah. you know some west coast stuff and fry them and yeah do you base a lot of your recipes on uh, on fantasies <laughs> uh yeah i think so i've never thought of it that way but yeah i think so i, I base a lot of my recipes on fantasies and puns uh, nice. Mostly puns. Um, <laughs> if I can think of a funny thing to call something, yep. um, that is usually my way in to um, figuring out a flavor profile and, and some ingredients. Cool. We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio. And when we come back, I'm going to read an excerpt from How Not to Boil an Egg by MFK Fisher. And Nick, I'd love for you to read uh, a piece about quality ingredients out of your cookbook. Excellent. program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. 
Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs, including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledged the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, and today I'm super excited that I have Nick Corby here from Egg Shop here in New York City. Uh, so I am going to read a excerpt from an essay by MFK Fisher um, entitled How Not to Boil an Egg. She writes, The finest way, of course, to know that your egg is fresh is to own the hen that makes it. This scheme has many drawbacks, and I, for one, as a person who has never felt any bond of sympathy between myself and chickens, their heads are too small somehow for their stupid, scratching, omnivorous bodies, have always been content to let someone else tend to the hen house, even if I had to pay much more for the product. Eggs are a good investment now and then, expensive or not, and unless you are told otherwise by your doctor, or hate them in any form, they should be eaten in place of meat occasionally. The old-fashioned idea that they are invalid food, something light and inconsequential, is fairly well-proved foolish by the fact that two eggs are fully as nutritious as a juicy beefsteak, but ten times as hard to digest unless they are cooked with great wisdom. Probably, the wisest way to treat an egg is not to cook it at all. An accomplished barfly will prove to you that a prairie oyster is one of the quickest pickups known to man, and whether you are hungover or merely tired, a raw egg beaten with a little milk or sherry can shortly make you feel much more able to cope with yourself. A biochemist once told me that every minute an egg is cooked makes it take three hours longer to digest. The thought of a stomach pumping and grinding and laboring for some nine hours over an average three-minute egg is wearisome, if true, and makes memories of picnics and deviled eggs seem haunting. The simplest way to eat an egg if you refuse to swallow it raw, even in its fanciest, high-tasting disguises, is to boil it. Rather, it is not to boil it, for no more erroneous phrase ever existed than to boil an egg. There are several ways not to boil an egg, so that it will be tender, thoroughly cooked, and yet almost as easily digested as if it were raw. One fairly good one is to drop the egg gently into simmering water, first running cold water over it so that it will not crack, and then let it stand there in the gentle heat for whatever time you wish. It will cook just as fast as the water were hopping up around in great bubbles, and it will be a better treated egg. The best way, I think, is to cover the egg with cold water in a little pan. Heat briskly, and as soon as the water begins to bubble, the egg is done. It will be more tender than when started in hot water, which of course makes the part nearest the shell cook immediately instead of heating the whole thing gently. I've never yet seen an egg crack when started in cool water, but some people automatically make a pinhole in every egg they boil to prevent possible leaks and lesions and their inevitable losses. If you still want hard-boiled eggs after pondering the number of days it would take to digest them, start them in cold water, turn off the heat as soon as the water begins to bubble, and let the eggs stand until cold. They will be tender and comparatively free from nightmares. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? Yeah, it's fantastic, and that's why she was the best. <laughs> yeah, her, uh, yeah, her writing is incredible. And I love that towards the end of this segment, 
she actually talks she describes it as a pinhole in every egg they boil Mm -hmm. even though she says that you shouldn't like boiling an egg is not a thing you do don't do that (laughs) um (laughs) so Uh, she talks about how she would never keep chickens would you keep chickens yeah i sure would um yeah I, i would definitely keep chickens um it's the only it's the only way to really eat incredibly fresh eggs that you can somehow manipulate Dan Barber style the flavor profile of. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have a, a friend whose parents kept chickens growing up, and I have clear memories of eating those eggs once in a while when I would go over to their house, and they were so good. And I mean, those yeah. chickens, you know, they they lived in a coop and they went out in the woods and then came back to the coop and they ate bugs and they ate whatever, but they also just mm-hmm. ate all the, the the scraps. I mean, they yeah. didn't really. I mean, they had a compost pile, but like most of the kitchen scraps, as long as it wasn't chicken or eggs and eggshells because the chickens will you know they will cannibalize um Mm -hmm. but they just ate all of that and i was like what a great way to get rid of all your kitchen scraps and turn them into eggs yeah definitely (laughs) yeah turn them into eggs it's like keeping well i mean it's pretty different but similar to goats you know keeping your property clean and and kitchen scraps and goats eating anything chickens are my dad always threatened to get goats to keep the grass short because yeah you know my mom wanted the grass mode and my dad said if god had wanted the grass short he would have arranged for it (laughs) and then came to the realization that he did arrange for it with goats but we never kept them we never kept them at home um do you serve a prairie oyster no, but I'm thinking about it now. It would be cool to do it with quail eggs. Um, oh, that'd be in, great. like, shot format. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I actually, as a kid, I always loved quail egg sushi, where you'd get yeah. it, like, in the on the rice with the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the nori around it, and then the two quail eggs in there. Yeah, or even just the quail egg ikura, like... Yeah, yeah combination is right it's pretty exceptional i mean i i have to say reading this i thought to myself man i mean just an egg stirred with some sherry sounds so good yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's so antiquated you know like especially on a day like today like i don't know if i really want to eat sherry raw eggs yeah it's a billion degrees outside yeah. and you know but there's an air-conditioned place that that's right for I mean, I'm kind of thinking about, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't go out. I don't drink that much anymore. I have two kids. I don't have a lot of hangovers, but I'm thinking, hmm, next hangover, I think that is going to be the... That's going to be the remedy or the I, cause? Uh, I think the remedy. Okay. I don't. I'm, I, I think very little sherry to an egg. I'm not thinking, you know, I don't think like a glass of sherry with an egg in it. Yeah, definitely. Kind of thing. Um, I mean, I guess you get into then talking, you could talk about, uh, I mean, the show after ours is the speakeasy, which is about drinks. So we could talk about flips and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All of that. Yeah, eggs and cocktails are is is a very very interesting subject, and um, we get that question all the time too. Yeah. Um, and one of the more interesting suggestions I've gotten recently is about um, about fining all of the juices with egg whites as a consomme. Oh, um, sure. So yeah. that we could be like, yeah, there's eggs in everything we do, right? You know, right. rather than just yeah, flips and sours and in you know. in uh, I think the book is called The Apprentice, Jacques Pepin's memoir. He talks about like learning how to do that, but how, but like I think he has a story about like fucking it up when he was like twelve, where like they told him <laughs> to like do the consomme, and then everybody left the kitchen like yeah. where he was apprenticing and like went to have lunch or something, and he like decided he like the raft floated to the top and yeah. he stirred it back in, yeah, or something. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, how do you feel about raw eggs as someone who works with them all the time? And, and, you know, having, I mean, I, you know, the quail egg thing, I mean, I, I grew up as a kid. My dad worked for a Japanese company, so we had sushi a lot in the late 70s, early 80s when nobody was eating that stuff. Raw quail eggs never bothered me. Mm-hmm. I've traveled in Japan. I, I like to eat raw eggs with rice um, yeah. for breakfast. I think it's delicious. Never gotten sick, never had a problem with it. But in the United States, we have this, like, ingrained fear yeah. Of raw eggs. Yeah, there's a huge uh, salmonella phobia. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you call it. Yeah. I, um, 
Why not? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that one of the best things in egg life is um, is runny eggs. Yeah. Um, yeah, like um, a, a fully cooked white or semi-cooked egg white, fine by me. Um, but yeah, if you if you destroy a yolk by cooking it all the way, you're just missing out on life. Yeah. You're, you're not like. <laughs> You're not preventing. You're not preventing death. You're missing out on life. That's a good. Yeah, I think that's um, a good way to look at it. And yeah. and you're also setting yourself up, I think, for a not very great experience. And like, to me, opening Definitely. up like a well cooked soft boiled egg mm-hmm. is awesome. And then you, I mean, and and it's always like I always think it's sort of like magic, right? Like yeah. my, my general method is similar to what she talks about. But I, what I usually do is I'll put an egg, put eggs into cold water, and as soon as it starts to simmer, I'll turn it off mm-hmm. and set a timer for three minutes. Because my kids yeah. like the white set, but okay. I like the yolk runny or, you know, a little bit runny sometimes. And I just, it's like, I feel like it's like magic when you open it up. Yeah. And you just get like the yolk is perfect. There's a, You have a set white. I think there's a very, very good reason that um, whatever European chocolate company it is made Zakinda egg. Yeah, yeah. And put a toy in the middle. Yeah. It's like that's the experience of a totally. soft-boiled <laughs> egg or like a well-cooked, <laughs> boiled or slow-cooked egg in the shell you know it's like yeah. that's the thing like that's why they put a toy in the middle because the yolk is freaking cool yeah yeah do you ever grill eggs um i have not grilled eggs as of yet um i'm i'm starting to smoke eggs um for medicinal purposes totally yeah. um yeah um no but i'm, I'm working you need on big rolling papers for that really big really big um so yeah, I, I'm working on smoking eggs um, and playing around with that. And if I can do a, uh, I want to do a cold smoked soft boiled egg. Oh wow! Um, for basically for that effect, you yeah. know, a lot of like my cook and chef friends come to me and, and say stuff like, "Hey dude, um, where's your immersion circulator? Like this would be way easier." And there's something like messed up about that to me. It's just <laughs> like, like no man, like just just like crack them into some water like right. poach them that way right you know like do it the way people have been doing it right for centuries yeah it's just a know? technique you need to learn right yeah it's not it, it's not and once you learn it you know it's like driving right right once you know how to drive yeah you don't unlearn how to drive i mean maybe if you get senile but yeah yeah i mean you can operate a car the same way you can operate a pot of boiling water in yeah. an egg right but you know it's it's actually harder to operate um you, you like putting machines in between people and food um, especially in like an immediate cooking setting um, or a, a restaurant service setting is is a big mistake. That's what I think. I think the the more simple you can you can make it um, for the people cooking food, especially in a, in a, a faster service setting. Sure. Um, the better. You know, it's like the last thing I want to hear about is chef. This is broken. Yeah. <laughs> chef. I don't. This I, it's right. this thing. It's or not me. This, this is you know. This is broken, and I don't. I, and I, we need this to make. The yeah, thing. It's there's like, no other way. No, around you don't. It. Here's right. some water. This yeah. is fire. Like, you know, um, if you can't cook eggs that way, yeah. there's something like really messed up about our culture and about you as a person in our culture. Just like, be a part of of history. Totally. Yeah. Um, would you read the the uh, the piece on quality ingredients in your book? Because I think it, it touches on a, it touches on a point that I want to that I want to talk yeah, about about our, our sort of mod what we where we've gone with with our sort of obsession with ingredients, which is a good thing in many cases. Yeah. Um, so this is the first chapter of Egg Shop the Cookbook. Quality ingredients. Let's get one thing straight: good ingredients make good food. 
We've made that a starting point at Egg Shop, and it can be far easier than you think to do it in your own cooking, too. In this chapter, we define what good ingredients mean to us and how to go about sourcing them wherever you may live. It's one thing to hop, step, or jump onto one's New York City or SoCal pedestal and speak down to everyone about some such localistic esoterica as a curated selection of hand-foraged, single-origin, native species of pre-germinated, paleo-Babylonian, endosperm-only, tri-colored pasta that Chef has prepared specifically for your party. It's another thing to talk about the human interactions that our current super-duper market culture deprives us of on the regular. We're after the latter, and it's simple. Go directly to the people who grow or make the thing you want to eat. Talk to them. Shake their hands. Ask them questions. Take their advice. That one ingredient you're after, that one thing that may be their entire life. Do not disrespect and you will be greeted in an edible Valhalla. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Thank you. Studio audience. Many, many blessings <laughs> upon you. Thank you. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't agree with you more uh, about the fact that it is important to talk to people. And, and I think I would say in places where even it may not be possible to go directly to the person who's raising the chickens in the case of eggs that are, yeah. that are producing the eggs, you could go directly to your grocer. And whether that person is the buyer in a chain grocery store like a Kroger or whether that's an independent mm -hmm. grocery store, those are, in fact, people, as you point out. Yeah. And you can talk to them and you can say, hey, I really like these eggs or, hey, I had these eggs from this other supermarket and you don't carry them here, but this one's closer to my house. Can you bring them in? And those are people who are making those decisions. So, you know, the stuff doesn't just... Yeah. show up through a pipeline. I mean, someday Amazon, I'm sure, would like to just, like, yeah. have whatever, what's their digital assistant, Alexa, or whatever it's called. Like, you could just be like, Alexa, I need some eggs, and they just, like, pop out of the thing. But, right. Yeah, we're not, I mean, like, uh, even even a, a big, bad supermarket, you know, it's not, um, it's not an automat. Right. You know? It's not a vending machine. There are people that work there. Yeah. There are people that care about the food that's on the shelf and, you know, have to look after it and all that stuff. Um, and, and an interesting thing too, is to see, um, some of the things, uh, when, when neighborhoods change, um, when our, when our, our little, uh, communities change, how a, a larger, a chain supermarket market responds to that is very, very interesting. So even, even the Kroger's, you know, yeah. in, in, uh, in Cincinnati or, uh, Seatown town in a neighborhood in Brooklyn that becomes gentrified, um, that starts carrying organic food. Yeah. It's like, or just that, I mean, and those places do adapt, right? I mean, I think yeah. our, our perception might be, and certainly people who are, you know, I mean, I'm committed to shopping often at the farmer's market. Our perception yeah. is that sometimes that these big corporations are bad. But, you know, we just opened a new location of the Brooklyn Kitchen in Industry City next to the Costco that's there. And that is the that is the uh, highest grossing Costco in the country. Yeah. It is the busiest Costco in the country. However, one of the things I find super interesting about it is that they have, you can buy a whole halal lamb in that Costco. That's pretty cool. And you can also buy giant packages of fermented Chinese sausages. And that is that <laughs> Costco responding very directly yeah. as like the juggernaut of Costco to the constituency yeah. that lives and shops there. And I guarantee you that the Costco that's near my dad up in Westchester mm -hmm. does not have a whole halal lamb or giant packages of Chinese fermented sausage. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, 
And it's, it's, that's cool. It's, I mean, these stores are run by people yeah. and they want to make money and they want to sell people what they want. Um, so you just have to ask for what you want and know what you want. Um, and knowing, um, knowing what you want, knowing how to, how to start, um, is sort of the basic, uh, the basis of, of egg shop, the cookbook of my cooking. It's like, there's no way to get anything great out of your cooking unless you know what you want in the end yep. and how to start, yeah. you know, and that's the, what quality, quality ingredients and finding them is about. So we're just about out of time, um, but I wanted to mention that you can find more information online at eggshopnyc.com. Uh, you can follow Nick on Instagram, Nick Corby. That's it. Very simple. <laughs> at Nick Corby. Um, do you have anything else you want to you want to mention uh, about the locations, uh, Soho and Williamsburg, or are the menus different in the two locations? Yeah, the menus are the menus are slightly different. Um, Williamsburg uh, just opened up on North Eighth Street between Bedford and Barry, um, the heart of Williamsburg. Open um, open seven days a week, and the menus are different um, in that the Williamsburg one features the most fantastic um egg burritos and egg tacos you could possibly find and um they're not quite a thing um not quite a thing yet in new york that's a california thing that is popping up and going strong and we have a huge bar um with the most delicious frosé that's all i'm thinking about right now on this 95 degree day all right and what time Um, do you open we open at 8 a.m every day great so 805 tomorrow i can get a frosé and a burrito yeah sweet yeah that's a good pairing yeah yeah frosé and a a socal burrito my start my long thursday of a lot of work off right you know kind (laughs) of numbing right just like the day probably would be great i probably won't remember most of it um it might just start my day with with an advil or two you know i think of it about the same way (laughs) (laughs) i mean i I feel like by eight o'clock i don't know i i usually get up around six start with some espresso before my kids are up so i feel like by eight i mean you know who knows if i got a lot done before my kids woke up i'd be ready it might be cocktail hour there you go cool ready for it so if you want the burrito and you are in soho you're gonna have to settle for some other delicious egg dish what's your best-selling thing on the menu in soho it is our bacon egg and cheese our egg shop bec um sweet and savory tomato jam um vermont white cheddar um applewood smoked or black forest bacon sunny up egg with the yolk broken into the roll it's it's what's up sounds sounds delicious well thanks so much for coming on the show today Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to David Tattashore, who engineers this show. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes, and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. have to make a shameless plug here for my first book, which comes out August 1st. Vinegar Revival is a guide to making and using vinegar at home. You can pre-order it at vinegarrevival.com on Amazon or from your local bookstore. And I just want to also remind everyone who is listening that this show would not be possible without member donations to Heritage Radio. The generosity of HRN members makes this show and the other 34 weekly shows we produce in the studio possible. And I would love it if you would become a member, either with a one-time donation or a monthly sustaining member. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. And let's keep food radio on the airwaves. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.